0: Welcome, everyone. My name is Michael S. Sieber. You're listening to Equal Chance to Be Unequal, my podcast about unlocking human potential through helping people disconnected from their purpose uncover and live their purpose. Welcome to Aligning Cross-Generational Communication presented by FEI. Thank you for joining us today. And now it is FEI's pleasure to introduce our speaker for today, Michael Seaver, founder and CEO of Siever Consulting, LLC. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Juliet, and welcome, everybody. Thank you, Juliet, and everybody for uh, joining us today. Uh, we're gonna talk about a number of things with regards to aligning uh, cross-generational uh, communication. I'll just give a brief background into, into my experience until today, and then we'll look through our agenda briefly. Uh, I'm a Phoenix-based executive coach, leadership consultant, uh, facilitate a number of workshops in the Phoenix area, have a number of online courses available on my website. I blog pretty frequently, active on social media, actually have a podcast, if you ever listen to podcasts, it's called Equal Chance to Be Unequal. Uh, on the front page of my website, we just published a really short 28-page book called Authenticity is the Way. If you just needed a quick read to learn about ways that you can become the more authentic version of yourself, and as I look through the attendee list, I r- recognize a number of names because FEI has invited me to the last couple of summits to be able to serve as the summit's MC, And actually, they've invited me back for the next one, uh, this coming up in May, down in Orlando. Uh, so I'd love to be able to see a number of you there again, uh, which would be fantastic. So today, uh, in our agenda, we're gonna pop up some polling questions that help us to think about um, essentially what professional changes are you potentially going through? We'll look at a number of pieces of data around generational similarities, give you some fun data from Gallup around employee engagement. I'll share with you a number of ways that I help clients to build trust uh, between direct reports and their leaders. And at the end, I'll offer some ideas for implementation to kind of uh, keep us moving forward and take some of the things that you learned today to be able to take back to the office and to be able to implement relatively quickly. So to get us started, I'm going to pop up a polling question for you, and the polling question is, what is the biggest professional challenge you're facing today? And the options are, number one, industry uncertainty, number two, technology improvements, number three, staffing inconsistencies, and number four, evolving customer demands. And I'll give you 10 or 15 seconds or so to be able to answer that question for yourself. Three more seconds. Okay, I'm going to pop up on the screen your responses. We have a pretty equal distribution amongst this, so for everybody who is participating in today's webinar, uh, take a good look at that, right, because we're almost split evenly, uh, almost 25% for each of those industry uncertainty, technological improvements, staffing inconsistencies and demands from our customers that are changing. And as I was doing some prep for today's webinar, I got to thinking about, okay, we're we're going to be obviously dealing with a a very wide variety of challenges. And of course, communication helps us to work through some of those challenges. And as we can see from the screen, there are a pretty equal distribution of the types of challenges that we are confronting. And it made me think of an article from November of 2016, uh, FEI, maybe it was FEI Daily, but I know it's also on FEI's website. Uh, Lauren Mann, who I believe was a board member for FEI a couple of years back, she had published an article about uh, technology integration and improvement, and it was really looking at a basic four-step process for dealing with challenges and facilitating us through challenges, and her organization's process was simplify, standardize, centralize, and automate, and I love that, the simplicity of that four-step process. So if you're thinking about any challenge that you or your team is confronting, let's look at it from a procedural standpoint, an organizational standpoint, and say, what can we do? to put a team together that can simplify, standardize, centralize, and automate a challenge that really helps us to move forward uh, in a meaningful way. I was also listening to a podcast yesterday where Jim Collins, who's the author of the book Good to Great, he was talking about um, uh, his flywheel concept, which is a beautiful concept that he talks about in Good to Great and some other material right thereafter. But I just wanted to remind remind us when we're dealing with challenges or communication challenges that... In Jim Collins' research, he found that transformation does not happen in one fell swoop. It doesn't happen through one major innovation. It doesn't happen through one miracle moment, if you will. Uh, What it is through the flywheel concept is this idea that if we're going to improve communication or we're going to confront some of these challenges head on, it is a literal day-to-day relentless pursuit where we build momentum and keep going day-to-day-to-day until we hit that, what seems like a very unimportant breakthrough, but it actually is the very thing where we finally realize that we've overcome that challenge. And a little bit later in the slide deck, I'll I'll share with you John Kotter's work and his eight-step model of change. Kotter is a a Harvard professor. He's also got a a consulting company that he utilizes to help teach people change. a great book back, I think, in the 90s called Leading Change um and what i'll share with you a little bit later is this idea of how do we build a cross-functional guiding coalition of people on our team that help us to facilitate through any of these challenges that we might confront so just take a good look at that see that we're dealing with a lot of things that are happening in society and that really pushes us to consider what are the things that we need to do to align communication so putting up on the screen a quote from w edwards deming Uh, If you turn back the clock, probably now almost 70, 75 years, Deming was really well known in the 1940s and 1950s for being one of the Americans that led the rebuilding of Japan post-World War II. And his thing back then was statistical product, product quality administration. And this seems a little bit unrelated, but I'll bring it back in that his focus was really on how do we better design systems or products? How do we create a higher level of quality? What are we doing to be able to test theories and and ideas more frequently? And how do we expand the sphere of our influence through making sure that we're having sales in, in different markets or different places? And so the reason why I like this quote by Deming, right? we should work on our process, not the outcome of our processes, is it's the reminder that communication happens daily in those seemingly very unimportant moments through those daily habits and rituals that we create and employ that allow for us to align communication across generations. So although it seems maybe a little bit disconnected, it's one of my favorite quotes because it reminds us to worry less about the outcome and to think about what do we proactively do day to day to day that creates an alignment across people who are very, very diverse and potentially from a variety of different um, generations in a way that really does help them to communicate more effectively and differently. So the next slide um, is a quote. I'll read it, and you're welcome to follow along with me. But I'll ask you a question after I read this. And so uh, from Ernie, who's an uncle in this scenario, and Ernie says, what is the game? The same game as the college game or the politics game, the name of the game is beat your father at building a better world for your son. Richie cannot accept the concept that anything so dependent on existing institutions can leave a man free to think and act as he pleases in private life. Yes, all businessmen I know are free thinkers and intellectually curious, knowledgeable, and more interested in making a mark than in making a buck. So now, pretend we're Ricky, who happens to be the nephew in this scenario. And Ricky responds with, you know, partly, I am lazy. I don't feel like working this summer. I'm writing a book and taking a history course at Columbia. Even the dullest art history book gives me a greater sense of freedom than being imprisoned in an office. I don't feel like feeling confined. I want my time to be at my own disposal. I suppose I'm spoiled or I'm copping out. And so the question I have for you to answer for yourself mentally is, is Ricky a millennial? I'll give you five seconds to think about that and to kind of take that step back and say, is Ricky actually a millennial? And so pop up another slide here. This particular quote was pulled straight from the May 17th, 1968 Life Magazine. Now in this scenario, Ernie is a traditionalist, somebody who was born between the year 1900 and the year 1945, and Ricky happens to be a baby boomer who was born between 1946, 1963. So we have in our society this propensity to want to look at younger generations as though they're lazy or things like this, but we tend to completely forget that at previous phases of our own lives, we might have been in a similar, we might have behaved in a similar fashion. So let me give you another one here, another quote. So this quote is, uh, lazy, entitled, selfish, shallow, unambitious shoegazers who have trouble making decisions. They would rather hike in the Himalayas than climb a corporate ladder. They crave entertainment, but their attention span is as short as one zap of a TV dial. They postpone marriage because they dread divorce. They sneer at Range Rovers and Rolexes. What they hold dear are family life, local activism, national parks, penny loafers, and mountain bikes. So the same question again, is it is it fair to say or might it be fair to say that this individual that they're referencing is a millennial? Give you five seconds to think about it and to really think about okay this could be describing a millennial or maybe it's describing a different generation so this particular quote came straight from the July 16th 1990 Time magazine the author of this particular article who stated what you see on the left of your screen is actually a baby boomer and then he was actually speaking about generation x those folks born between 1964 and 1979 so, I'll give you one more, and then I'll help you understand the pattern that I'm trying to to plan for you is what you see here is a a survey that I had done. Uh, for 200-plus uh, members of the Oregon School Business Officials uh, Association. So this was July of 2017, and I gave them a, an anonymous online survey to ask their opinion of the millennial generation, right? those folks who were born between 1980 and 2000. And you can see that there are a number of things on the right-hand side of the screen that were very complementary of an individual who was born between 80 and 2000. But then you can also see the things that I highlighted in orange, where some of the language that's utilized isn't exactly polite or kind, um, but there's probably someone in your network who has used similar language to describe a person born between 80 and 2000, from entitled to brainless to focused on instant gratification to not having empathy to they're self-absorbed, they're unreliable, they're, excuse me, they're spoiled, ungrateful, weak, self-centered, not respectful, irresponsible. And so the reason I call those specific terms or adjectives out is that when you look back at the previous two slides, the, the language is nearly identical. But what is important to recognize is that the language two slides ago was talking about baby boomers. The last slide, it was talking about Gen X. This slide, it's talking about millennials. And I don't have a slide, but if we put up another slide for Gen Y, those folks born after 2000, I can promise you that the language would be nearly identical. And anybody born after the 2000 is just now coming into the workforce, so we're at this place where we're starting to see uh, Gen Z, right, born after 2000, starting to see their acclimation into the workplace now. But the pattern that I would like to establish for you to consider is that there's this pattern in human history where one generation tends to say not so nice thing or things or demean the following generation. And people always ask, why does that happen? Why does one generation say that about the next generation? And I think the main reason is, is that the previous generation forgets about that specific phase in that person's life. And so, when we when we're we turn fifty years old, we forget what it's like to be an eighteen year old or a twenty year old and so when we when we're forty years old and we're talking about an employee who's just entered the workforce at age twenty two that twenty year time gap we often forget what it's like to be that specific age. so another way to look at this is to say, well, Oftentimes, the more experienced generation has already fully committed to societal structures and they're already bought into a specific way of life. So now that they see these younger generations doing it differently, that causes them just a little bit of consternation. Another way, and this, isn't, this is not my perspective, but one that was brought to me recently at a presentation was is that a more experienced generation is jealous of the following generation's freedom to choose or create their life. Now, I'm not saying that I agree with that, but it was an interesting perspective. Um, And the last one I'll share here is that when you think about the pattern of what I'm trying to help you understand here is that When we think about why does a previous generation struggle with a younger generation? We have to remember that the previous generation is the one that created the society in which the now generation functions And so the baby boomers are the ones that created the society for Gen X and Gen X is the one that created the society for the Millennials to function inside of so we have to think about why is it that that generation wants to say not-so-nice things about the next generation when they're the very ones who created the society in which they live? So it's an important thing to kind of bring back to the center is to kind of think about that, to um, say, why is this happening? And oftentimes it's just because we're forgetting about what it was like to be that age in our own history. So communicating across generations is a little bit less about a, a, a stereotype of a specific group, and it's a little bit more about what is the environment in which that person was raised, what was the environment like? And so let's dive a little bit into the environment. So what should come up on your screen now is a look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you want to, you can go to the, the under the resource list, Um, On the left-hand side of your screen, there's a handout there that I've created that says it's called Aligning Cross-Generational Communication, and you're welcome to use that to follow along or reference it at a later date, but a couple of things to be cognizant of here is that when we think about what was actually happening in history, at the very time that these generations were moving into the workplace, I'll use the the baby boomers as an example. So anybody born between 1946 and 1963, we have to think about what was going on in society at that time. And when you think about that phase in human history, civil rights were a big deal, or the Vietnam War was a really big deal. The Cold War was, of course, brewing. Um, And then this was also the generation that brought the idea of uh, becoming a hippie uh, into kind of the mainstream. Uh, Or Gen X as an example, right there that kind of in the middle there, Gen X, anybody born between 64 and 79, uh, they were dealing with the repercussions of Watergate. And for the first time in human history, we had to deal with um, dual income families or the transition into Y2K. Uh, There was a lot of corporate downsizing. Uh, There was even at that particular point in time a big rash of politicians lying to the American community. Or we'll look at millennials for a second. Millennials, as they were becoming of age and being ready, prepared for the workforce, their situation, the environment in which they were raised in was even different than Gen X and the baby boomer in that for the first time ever, uh, they now had to deal with terrorism on their home soil. So for traditionalists or baby boomers, There was a little bit less focus in on something happening within Americans, uh, the borders. Everything was pretty much happening in another country or a different continent. But for the first time in human history, the way that millennials' brains are functioning is that they literally feared for their own life near their house. And that level of terrorism was something that really hasn't been uh, done before in America. They've also had to look at millennials, uh, this idea of digital media and social media and uh, constantly comparing themselves to their friends. Uh, via social media right social media is a pretty tough thing because it is essentially a Highlight reel of someone's life And so anybody who's having a bad day looks at one of their friends lives and they're doing something that's really fun or cool It automatically creates an anxiety uh, inside of the person looking at it and there's some really great studies that talk about the Millennials specifically from the standpoint of their level of anxiety is nearly double that of previous generations and so number of things that we would have to deal with uh in that context so they've had to deal with school shootings they've had to they were the first generation where the children actually had a specific schedule that they had to abide by um, but i say all of these things just to remind you that the environment in which the person is raised is a bigger predictor of their behavior than anything that has um, anything that they're doing specifically as an individual psychologists refer to this as fundamental attribution error And if you ever wanted to to look it up uh, in any depth, please feel free to. But I love the equation to the growth of uh, a person moving up Maslow's hierarchy of needs with the specific generation. Now, you know, whichever generation you might be a part of, uh, you can start to think about it and say, okay, well, I happen to work with a lot of baby boomers or I happen to work with a lot of people who are millennials. Well, now that we know at their core what it is that they need, now we know what it is that we would do to try to help meet them in the middle in some capacity. Uh, Generation X as an example, they were one of the first generations that was really heavily focused on independence and wanting to be entrepreneurial. And then you can kind of see uh, what they were really looking for was starting to find how can I Uh, belong to a group of individuals that's similarly minded, or how can I seek love from people who are similarly minded as opposed to just going to a job every single day that I don't like? So each of these respective groups, you can see from where they're at on Maslow's hierarchy, where it is that we might be able to step in and provide some meaningful communication to them. Or you know we've heard a number of things about the millennials uh, always winning awards or wanting awards or wanting to get promoted too quickly, uh, wanting titles, wanting extra pay, and it, this just really comes down to what it says they're kind of in the blue is that they really need to feel accomplished, and so we don't even have to as leaders give them uh, titles and extra pay and things like that. All we got to do is talk to them every single week and just give them little bits of acknowledgement for things that they've done to level up. So there are very free, inexpensive ways that we can give each of these respective generations something that matters to them. So this is this is probably one of the most important charts for us to consider when we're thinking about um, generations. And even though there are minor differences between them, uh, that's really more environment-driven, not specific person-driven. So another slide here that might bring this home for us is uh, the Center for Creative Leadership. One of their uh, employees, Jennifer Deal, wrote a book called Retiring the Generation Gap. And so on your screen, you're looking at 10 different principles of ways humans from all generations are the same. And so it is my theory that when we're thinking about aligning communication, that we start with ways in which we are all the same and really start to build upon that. And so maybe there's a principle there that really stands out to you that that you feel you haven't received from your colleagues or maybe that you would like to deliver more frequently to your colleagues. Um, But I'll point out a couple based on my experiences providing training and coaching to to leaders across our country. Um, Number six, as an example, no one really likes change. And the the trigger here is that it doesn't matter if you're 75 years of age or 15 years of age. Nobody likes change, especially when it's bestowed upon them and they don't have a say in how it's being implemented. Now, there's a great saying, and it's people tend to support what they help to create. So for us as leaders, we have to think about It doesn't matter what generation the person on my team is a part of. What we can stay really heavily focused on is how do I get them involved in the change process before the change actually occurs? Because once they're involved in creating the change and then figuring out a way to do the implementation with you, uh, they're going to be very, very involved in that and okay with it. right? There's going to be a lot less emotion, a lot less negativity, a lot less gossip, a lot less uh, things that will actually ruin the process for us. So be thinking about that is that it doesn't matter what generation you're from, not going to like change, but the way that we can overcome that is to figure out a way to communicate the change enough months in advance that people can talk with you or another leader through it in a way that helps them to feel safe. Now, another one here that I think is really important is uh, the third principle, right? Trust matters. And so all humans, regardless of context or background, right, they're really going to focus in on trust. And the way that we build trust as leaders is to make sure that we create safe environments that allow every person to show their own weaknesses and show their own vulnerabilities, Um, because if we don't create that environment, we're going to waste a lot of time on defensive behaviors, uh, people not asking for help, uh, people not volunteering to help one another, you know, in getting some sort of accomplishment done. And if this is an area that you would like to explore further, please do. Uh, This is really the core of all team communication as trust and some of the best that do it. Uh, Patrick Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, is a tremendous look at how do you go through and actually build trust. Excuse me. Uh, If you haven't read Stephen M. R. Covey's The Speed of Trust, also a tremendous look at what do we do to to build trust and how important that is to an organization. And they have a great card deck that you could create games with your team to make sure that we're building trust meaningfully. And then if you've uh, followed Brene Brown at all, she's got a couple of great TED Talks that have received uh, tens of millions of views, Uh, but she's also got a tremendous book called Daring Greatly, which helps us dive into how to establish trust in a very meaningful way, again, across generations. I'll mention one more thing here, uh, number nine, everybody wants to learn, and that's you know more just, and this one says more than just about anything else. And uh, I think that there are really uh, a lot of different ways that we as leaders can engage people from various generations by just asking some really interesting questions on the front side of the relationship to figure out how does that individual desire to learn. And if it's auditory, if it's visual, if it's reading and writing, if it's kinesthetic, whatever that might be, there are a number of ways in which we can communicate across different generations to share the same kind of information. So we can do TED Talks, we could do YouTube videos, we can have people listen to podcasts, we can have them read magazines or newspapers, we can do kinesthetic learning through mentorship and one-to-one coaching, uh, we can have them attend conferences, you know, do traditional learning through certifications and degrees, whatever that might be. Um, I've got a number of clients who, as a result of learning some of these things, they've started internal book clubs to just help people from different generations uh, sit in groups together and kind of talk through scenarios and talk through specific chapters in books that are business-focused that help them see one another in the same lens. So. There are a number of things that we can do here, but I just really wanted to drive home the point that we're, we live in a world um, where humans are way more similar than they are dissimilar, and there's a couple of things that we can do to automatically offer those on our team just a little bit of credit, say, hey, I know we're more similar than we are different. How can I adjust my communication to you in a way that is, is you're going to be able to receive the message clearly? So another polling question here. Uh, When we think about employee engagement, the question is, what percent of the American workforce actually likes their job? Option one, 13%, option two, 16%, option three, 33%, or option four, 51%, and I'll give you a few seconds to consider that. What percent of the American workforce likes their job? Yeah, give me three or four more seconds. Okay, so um, looks like the audience today says that, well, 57%, about 60% of you think that the number is 33%, and that is correct. Uh, so good for each of you to uh, get to that point. And so for those of you who were at the 13 or 16 or 51%, um, so the actual number is 33%, and I'll pop up a slide here in a second to describe that. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to be able to answer that question. I'm glad that many of you uh, were aware of maybe this, this particular report or why uh, this number is so critical. So, pops up on the screen here, uh, Gallup's State of the American Workplace, which was first distributed in 2017. They've been making updates to it since. Um, And as of the latter part of February, the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that we're almost at 157 million workers in America. So I put 156 in there to be safe, but we're getting close to 157 uh, in America. And according to Gallup's research of essentially people all over the globe, hundreds of millions of data points, uh, what they've been able to find is that uh, 33% of the American workforce is engaged or happy, right? So that means of 10 people on your team, three of them are metaphorically rowing the boat forward and are happy rowing that boat forward. But that means that there are five kind of sitting in the middle of the boat who are disengaged, that their oars are out of the water, they're not really doing a whole lot, they're just kind of sitting there. And then the last two, or you know, 15, 16%, those two people at the back of the boat that they're disengaged they're really unhappy right they're the folks who are throwing their oars into the water or they're the ones that are drilling holes in the bottom of the boat or they're the ones that have the pails that are putting water in the boat any number of things to slow the team down so i just think that this is a really interesting Data to help us understand that when we look at our team We know that there are three people who are really engaged and happy five that are so-so They're just doing the basic requirements and that there are roughly two that really dislike what they're doing when we as leaders have to Really think about how do we find those two and remove them from the team or move them to the place of being at least one of the five or one of The three so in this particular report We've also found out that about 51% of the American workforce is actually looking for a new job So always something to be cognizant of when we think about our teams is that, you know, 50% of the people could be looking for something new. So we can look at that as a challenge or as an opportunity. I try to look at it as an opportunity to really have a meaningful conversation with that individual to figure out what it is that he or she wants in order to stay. And that stay interview, if you will, becomes really powerful in knowing how to open up lines of communication. Towards the bottom of the screen there, we talk about, you know, engagement for organizations that are smaller with only 25 employees or less, they tend to be a little bit more engaged than organizations that are much larger, like in this case more than 5,000 employees. So it really is important for us to be cognizant of what is it that makes a smaller organization more fun to work in than a bigger organization. And when we think about how do we figure out ways to work with those specific uh, people inside those types of organizations, there's a couple sections on the handout that you might have downloaded. I believe on the left-hand side, down closer to the bottom, there's a section that's called Keys to Working With. And on that particular row, we look at a number of things, and I'll I'll kind of give a couple of examples when we think about how to engage people from different generations. And so, as an example, the keys to working with a baby boomer are to allow him or her to be able to speak freely so that they know that their ideas are being heard or that they matter. Now, because of the time and history in which the baby boomer was raised, Uh, this particular uh, research found that their career defines them more than their own personal mission, if you will. And when we go through the process of working with the baby boomer, we really need to tell them why something is happening, not just that it's being bestowed upon them, but why something is happening. Now, same row looking at the the Gen X folks, right? These folks, like I mentioned earlier, Gen X between uh, 65 and 1980, those people born in that range, they really want independence and they prefer a more informal work environment because they need that little bit more time for fun to be able to discover parts of themselves that previous generations didn't necessarily. And Generation X really wants to be able to pursue outside interests. So as a leader of a person who's Gen X and we wanna connect them to something that our organization's doing, Well, anything that your organization is doing through a philanthropic means or through a professional association or through some conference, get them involved in something that's connected to that. They're going to be far happier at work. We can find ways to engage them in that way. Now, with millennials, those folks born between 80 and 2000, they love to function on teams. They learn a lot from other individuals. So they want to be around smart people. They want to develop their skills. They want variety in tasks. So if we're going to find a way to engage those individuals, we want to find ways to let them learn through teams. So you as a leader, we can step in and say, okay, we know that our team isn't necessarily overly engaged, but let me just do a quick scan of my team and figure out what generation these individuals might be from, and let's figure out a way to set a specific goal and then create an a la carte menu of ways in which to engage them and to teach them and and to get them working together. Because there's a number of things that can happen. It's just a way for us to know that we're all coming from basically the same place, but taking into consideration that the environment to which the individual was raised might have shifted their focus to how they would learn or be engaged in a meaningful way. So the the second employee engagement slide here um, is is also a good one for me. It's also important to me when we look at at communication. And so obviously my work inside organizations from a training standpoint or coaching standpoint is to try to figure out how to open up lines of communication to create that trust, and that's really challenging inside most organizations. But what Gallup found is that of these hundreds of millions of people who have done their assessments, only 13% of the people who have completed this particular question, Um, actually agreed that their leadership communicates effectively. Now, I know that there's a number of reasons why leadership can and can't say specific things, but this is a kind of a damning statistic in that it really does hold us back from the things that we're trying to accomplish. So I'm trying to come up with some methods and means by which we can think about what are the ways that we communicate really effectively. So what Gallup found was that um, women tend to be a little bit more engaged than men. Uh, Baby boomers tend to be a little bit more engaged than millennials. And another fun statistic from uh, Gallup was that you know just because somebody has a higher educational degree doesn't mean that they have uh, higher levels of engagement so just because somebody went from high school to a bachelor's degree to a graduate degree to a PhD at no point as they climbed that ladder of educational attainment did they become more engaged or happy at work so for some people learning is a motivator and that's fantastic but we can't we can't uh, automatically assume that they're going to be happier at work. We have to have some meaningful dialogue with those individuals To understand what it is that's actually going to engage them and on the handout that you can download if you look at the the row that talks about communication specifically there's a number of things there so if we're going to communicate with a baby boomer making sure that we pay attention to their body language and that we're far more diplomatic in the language that we use or if we're trying to sell them or negotiate with them on something make sure we give them options and so trying to find a win-win more collaborative solution is better for the baby boomers But if we're trying to deal with the millennials, um, being polite to them matters, um, and trying to help them look a little bit more forward and to remain positive and optimistic will help to engage them more deeply. And again, they like group activity, they like team activity. So if we can teach them and engage them and communicate to them through group means, it's far better to get the message across to them. So each generation is going to want the communication just a little bit differently, but they're going to want the basis of the communication to be the same. So keep that in the back of your mind as you're thinking about employee engagement, but also from the standpoint of what little minor tweaks of the a la carte menu do you then offer the communication to that person. So another uh, management theorist that I followed for a number of years, I think he passed away in 2005, um, but Peter Drucker is probably the Inventor of modern management as many of us experience it today Uh, He did write I think 39 different books and he was a professor at Claremont graduate university uh, in in Orange County for a number of years and the thing that I love about Drucker Was that he always believed that business could be profitable and socially responsible simultaneously And so he was always very aware of that even if somebody came from a different generation or they were a different sex or they were a different socioeconomic group or status, um, that they had a lot to offer to uh, to a decision or to some sort of a project. So what I love about this particular quote is that when we think about a person who's different than us, if we take the mindset of treating them as a volunteer, and because in society we do a great job of thanking volunteers and placing the volunteer on a pedestal and giving them awards and recognizing their contributions, So if we take that same idea, that same mentality to the people that we work with on a day-to-day basis, even if they happen to be 20 years older or 20 years younger, it is going to change the way that communication happens. It's gonna be way more uh, trust-based and it's gonna be far more efficient and effective. So just think about that as you think about how to um, deal with a person internally that you haven't necessarily had a ton of success with historically, mentally envision them as a volunteer and maybe the communication to them might adjust or change a little bit. Another little piece here about uh, employee engagement is uh, as you can see here as Gallup's uh, 12 elements of great managing or kind of the 12 questions that are really critical to communicating across generations is that when you look at these 12 things there's a number of things that you could find. The thing that I love about this particular chart is that this is what makes employees happy. And If we look really really closely there's something on here that's not there that's excluded and that's money right there's nothing on here about money or financial attainment or anything that leads to a person being happy at work so for millennial person to communicate really effectively with a traditionalist it doesn't take money they don't have to buy them anything but what they can do is open up the lines of communication in a meaningful way that allow for uh communication to open and for it to be customized and for us to pull from each of those bits and pieces of that a la carte menu in a way that allows for the communication to open so uh, number 12 as an example at the very bottom of the screen says you know for me to be engaged you know this last year i had opportunities to at work to learn and grow and we know from a couple slides ago that all humans regardless of age they really do want to learn and grow So it's similar to uh, uh, Principle Number Nine in Jennifer Deal's book. But if you also think about Tony Robbins' work, and Tony does some really tremendous work, and I think his organizations do something like $6 billion a year in revenue because there's so much need for people to go through a self-discovery process or to learn. But when you're having your one-to-one meetings, Um, are you asking the question of the people close to you? Did you learn something this week? Or what did you learn? Or share with me something you learned? And that's a really critical thing to consider that I don't think we spend enough time doing is asking people in our one-to-ones, weekly or biweekly, what is it that you learned? Another one here, six, uh, there's someone at work who encourages my development. And I just love this from the standpoint of if your leader is encouraging your development, if you hire a third-party coach, if you have an internal mentorship program, Um, If when a person joins your organization, they have some sort of an onboarding buddy um, or if they have that peer affinity group, whatever that might be, if we have that a la carte menu of ways in which we can figure out how to encourage that person, whether it's from the leader or from someone else internally, we break down the silos that exist traditionally from a generation to a generation. And then the third thing here, um, number three, at work I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. I like this one a lot because humans tend to be far happier in workplaces when they can be in a flow state more recurrently, meaning that they're operating from a place of using their strengths uh, more so than not. So if you've never asked anybody on your team these 12 questions or a sampling of these 12 questions, I would really encourage you to consider it somehow. Uh, It could be face-to-face, it could be over the phone, it could be online, whatever you choose, but doing it will help you to understand how to customize and tailor your communication to that individual in a way that is really meaningful to him or her. I'll I'll go through this slide right here pretty quickly, and uh, it's basically just, uh, last year I gave a keynote for uh, the Arizona Republic and accentral.com. Each year they collect in the state of Arizona from 125 companies that are looking to become great at employee engagement, um, so lots and lots and lots of pieces of data, not as much as what Gallup has, but you can see here at the state level from Arizona Republic and here are the 10 things that were the patterns that came back from communicating effectively with employees, and there's only one mention here, number seven, Uh, That has anything to do with money so of the 10 key drivers only one of them is about money in this case It's the benefits package, which is not typically a direct type of compensation But the rest of these are nearly identical to what you've just seen on the previous slide It comes down to the way that we communicate and customize our communication to the individual so something to look at Another one here uh, Google so for a number of years for two years they tracked uh, 180 project teams around the globe to try to figure out what was it that actually allowed for the most productive teams to have success and as you can see we climb from number five at the bottom up to number one at the top what people really needed in order to communicate safely was the capacity to take a risk or to be vulnerable and you've already heard me say those two things a number of times in our discussion But really what this comes down to is that the individual did not feel that he or she was going to be punished or shamed for anything that they said or did. And so think about your workplace and is there a leader, is there someone on the team uh, who is not speaking up or who feels insecure about speaking up or giving an idea just because they think they're going to be shamed by another person on the team. So the way that we can overcome this, the way that we create the psychological safety that Google has created is that we begin our meetings, our one-to-one meetings, our team calls, whatever they are, with some personal dialogue. It doesn't matter what it is that you're talking about, it could be hobbies, it could be pets, it could be kids, it could be what they did this past weekend, but if we can take three to five minutes on the beginning of any work dialogue and have some personal conversation, that's the glue that's going to create a team cohesiveness that provides that safety because we want every person on the team to see each other as humans first. Now, maybe that's having some meals together, maybe that's talking about something personally. Um, But whatever it is, we have to understand that that's going to create lower levels of employee turnover. It's gonna create more ideas. Actually, what Google found was that those productive teams produced way more revenue than the other organizations too. Um, And then they also found that executives ranked those teams that were practicing psychological safety these executives ranked to those teams as being two times more effective than the other teams so this stuff is really super basic when we go back to demings quote right we're just working on the daily process it's just these little processes that we do to make sure communication is effective every day it's the very thing that allows for over periods of time for the communication to open and then to be far better so pop up your third polling question And the question is, have you watched Robert Waldinger's TED Talk entitled, What Makes a Good Life? Answer number one is yes. Answer number two is no. Go ahead and take a few seconds to answer that. Okay, just a couple more seconds. Okay, so looks like a pretty large percentage of us have not watched it, um, and that's okay. I'll pop up a a picture of it here for you. And so TED.com, just type in Robert Waldinger and snoop around, see if you can find uh, this particular uh, TED Talk. It's a quick one, only about 13 minutes. And what Robert talks about in this TED Talk that really helps us to understand generations and how they're very, very similar is that Harvard for 78 years so far has been tracking 724 men through what they refer to as the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And what they were looking for is to try to understand what is it that leads to a long, happy, and healthy life. And so some of the really important information that they found uh, through this is that building trust requires really deep, uh, meaningful, and reciprocal relationships. And so a couple pieces of information here that will help us to understand uh, how to communicate. What they found was that a person who had a very happy childhood actually had warmer and more secure relationships later in life. Uh, They actually came up with this term called uh, generativity, which means that when a person becomes traditionally of a baby boomer age, so baby boomers right now, so the age 50, let's say right around age 50 or 60, They, Even if they had a rough childhood, they can actually overcome it at that point in their life if they feel called to establish or guide the next generation to create their own level of happiness. So even though we might have a more experienced person who's not necessarily communicating effectively, if we can unlock his or her personal mission and help them understand how they're changing the next generation of people, they will become happier in their life. Um, they also talked quite a bit in this particular survey uh, in TED talk about dealing with stress and how if we're effective at managing our own stress, we're actually going to have better relationships and actually better physical health. So an important thing for each of us to consider is that regardless of generation, communication can happen through figuring out ways to reduce our stress. So I just think it's really important that take 13 minutes to watch this or listen to it on your car ride, uh, maybe home today, and just think about how is it that a close-knit relationship is actually the thing, regardless of generation, that's not only going to make you live a long, happy, and healthy life, but also then create that same environment in which you work so that everybody feels that they can have that long, happy, and healthy life for themselves. So a little bit uh, more time here. A couple things I wanted to to point out is um, Keith Ferrazzi wrote a book called Never Eat Alone, and kind of the three ideas that I really want to drive home here about communicating is In this book, he talks about how uh, relationships need to be nurtured regularly, meaning almost weekly, and we need to build our relationships before we need them to actually do something nice for us in return and how we invest time in a person, the customization of how we invest that time in a person that's really matters to that individual is way more important than the quantity of time we give to that individual. So be thinking about how do we set up those opportunities or scenarios to really customize the communication in a way that that individual can hear it or understand it because that's the thing that's going to deepen the relationship the most. I get to do a number of things uh, with regards to emotional intelligence, and on the screen you'll see just a a really quick chart from TTI Success Insights, which is a system I use uh, to assess emotional intelligence of executives, and it makes me think of Daniel Goleman's work in his book, Emotional Intelligence, and a couple of key things from this is Daniel Goleman in his book, I think it was from like 95 or 96, what he found was that IQ only accounts for 20% of an individual's performance or success, but EQ, emotional intelligence, accounts for 80%. And so it's a really important thing for us to remember, the importance of knowing how to build relationships across a generation, because low EQ persons, according to his research, uh, tend to start a lot of tasks but leave them unfinished. Whereas high EQ persons tend to get those tasks done, they tend to mitigate stress faster, and they tend to be a little bit healthier physically. So it's important for us to think about, are we doing training of our team members about emotional intelligence? And if we are, great. If we're not, we need to consider it. So this thing is a really important thing. I just did a workshop about this topic because it's so important to the folks that I've been working with. And we actually turned it into an online course it will be available, I think, uh, later this week, just because I think it's such a critical thing for all of us to be considering. In the two areas of the content that you see on your screen that people of any generation struggle with, uh, the second you know, one there called self-regulation, uh, the capacity to control or redirect a an impulse or a, a bad mood, This is the hardest one for people to understand, and this is the one that I end up addressing the most when I coach people. Uh, And the way that we work through this a lot is that I have them create a pain journal. So I have them for two weeks track the things that are causing them consternation, anything that makes them sad or upset or angry or pissed off. I have them track that for two weeks so that we can then discuss the pattern that exists in that. So think about for anybody on your team who seems to be struggling with regulating their own emotions, have them figure out a way to do a pain journal, and that will help us to understand what's actually causing their capacity to not manage their emotions uh, in those moments. The other one there, number four, social awareness, is this one is also something I spend a lot of time training people on because many people in America listen with the intent to respond, but they don't listen with the intent to understand. And so we often spend time uh, teaching about uh, words and someone's tone of voice and their nonverbal cues, So think about, is there a training available, Uh, is there someone available within your organization that can help people on your team understand that what somebody says is only 7% of their communication but their tone of voice is 28%, their nonverbal cues is actually 55% of what they're saying. So if somebody's saying yes verbally but their body is very closed and they've crossed their arms and their legs, they're actually saying no. But it's knowing how to train the people on your team to recognize those nonverbal cues to know what it is that the person is actually saying. And these are true across generations. So something to think about when you think about what do we need to do to open up those lines of communication. So a couple of things here before I pop up our, our final polling question. Uh, polling question is, Regardless of generation, um, I facilitated discussions, uh, like on the left-hand side, it says a team meeting. So typically what I would do here, and this will help us to create a very sound baseline of communication on any team, regardless of how many generations are on the team. So if we give a team two weeks and we give them like the left-hand side and say, okay, uh, two weeks in advance, I want you to take the next two weeks to think about the top three ways that you want to be communicated to, the top three ways that you don't want to be communicated to, what are the three things that really motivate you when you're at work, what are the expectations that you have of the people around you, and how is it that you prefer to receive appreciation? So if you give people two weeks to consider these things and then you hold a team meeting where everybody gets to go around the table and share these things about themselves, you're setting a very strong baseline and benchmark for communication. So some some people might like to do this, some might not, depending on introversion, extroversion, right? So there's other things that we can filter in here. But if you know these things about your people as a leader, it's gonna be far simpler for you to manage the relationships that that matter and to really make sure we're functioning from a productive place. Now, on the right-hand side, this is any of your leaders communicating with their direct reports. And this is so critical, and this this taps into all of the respective generations purposely. So. When we think about any time we're about ready to have a one-to-one meeting, we want to begin the meeting with some sort of recognition of that individual for a win that they've had, for an accomplishment, for something they did that was nice to another colleague, uh, some sort of sale that they won, whatever that might be. We have to begin the dialogue with the recognition, then allow that individual to talk about his or her wins, then go ahead, deliverables, whatever it was that that individual was supposed to accomplish in the last couple of weeks, talk through those things. remove any roadblocks that you need to uh, do the work that needs to be done hold them accountable in ways that you need to um, whatever but we just want to make sure we begin with the recognition and wins talk about the tough stuff in the middle and then work through what are the things that you would need to remove over the next couple of weeks what are those potential challenges that you would need to take off their plate to open up the door for opportunity or possibility for them to continue moving down their path to continue learning so and then the last thing here, uh, just reflection and goals. I don't think that we do a lot as or enough as a society thinking about what the goals that we have and what we can do um, to really keep people focused on the goal. So if we're constantly talking about a goal or something we're moving to, it's far simpler for them um, to know where to distribute their time so they don't get off track in doing things that are unimportant. Um, okay, we're getting close to the top of the hour Let me talk about this one real quick. This might be something that you come back to uh, later because, as Juliet said, you have the ability to come back and then check the PDF of this. If you have any individual on your team who is is um, his or her behavior is really poor or they seem to be making choices that are off base or off track, this particular six-step process will help them to get back on track. So make sure you walk through these step by step by step if you want to. Um, You can also go to michaelssever.com and and send me a message if you're struggling with any of this. Maybe we just talk for a couple of minutes about how to implement this in a meaningful way uh, because I think it's a really important thing for us to challenge somebody who's communicating ineffectively to make sure that they do come come back uh, in a meaningful way. Okay, so let me pop up our uh, next polling question, just to make sure uh, that we get our CPE in. And so question here is, does your organization have a formal mentorship program? And uh, answer one is yes, answer two is no. Go ahead and answer that, I'll give you a few seconds to consider. <laughs> just a few more seconds okay let's see So for the folks on the call today, about 25% are yes, you have an internal mentorship program that's formal, and roughly 75% said no. Um, This is something I think that would make uh, aligning cross-generational communication really effective is if we create those opportunities to uh, essentially take the knowledge that exists in a more experienced person's mind and, and basically informally transfer it down, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be through an external class or anything, it can just happen um internally and i just think that this really helps tremendously to break down any generational barriers it really incentivizes specific types of behavior that probably is in alignment with your core values Um, and the very bottom row of the handout that you downloaded um, talks about mentorship specifically and so if you want to know how to mentor a specific person from a specific generation the very bottom of that handout addresses this and so it might be a fun way for you to set something up internally to say hey we need to offer generation to a bunch of people or uh, mentorship to a bunch of people who are Generation X. Let's make sure we build these ideas into it purposely to make sure that they're really absorbing the information and that we can count on them to be engaged for what's going to happen um, as we move into the next phases of whatever you're trying to accomplish within your firm. So, real quick, a couple of things here. Um, many things that you can be doing as, as far as implementation is concerned, um, but what I think is really important is that when we think about treating everybody as a volunteer, right above on the left-hand side it says give in a three-to-one ratio. I have found within organizations that if we create a give first mindset, we give or do something nice for a person three times before we ask for anything in return uh, for that individual, it is really helpful to break down any barriers that might exist mentally. So if we're looking at every person on the team through the lens of he or she is a volunteer on our team, now they're, they're not, but metaphorically, we're treating them as such. And then if we do nice things for them three times before we ask for anything in return, they're gonna be deeply engaged with us and what it is that we're focused on. And I just think that that matters a ton. Again, the daily process thing on the right-hand side of the screen, these things matter so much, these daily processes and the focusing in on the, the process, not the outcome, it matters uh, tremendously. And I can dive into these things more if we had just a little bit more time, but what I wanna leave you guys with is just this reminder that when we think about communicating across generations, that we have to recognize the phase of life the person is in and think about that. What is the phase of that person's life? Recognize that people are more similar than they are dissimilar. Remember that the environment in which the person was raised is actually a bigger predictor of that person's behavior uh, than that specific thing that they're dealing with in the moment. That close-knit relationships are the very thing that lead to a long, happy, and healthy life. Right, You've got a handout that talks about some of the things that will help uh, to understand the the minor differences that exist from generation to generation. Um, But what really matters more is that we foster those deep and meaningful relationships because we can build emotional intelligence through those team and one-to-one meetings in a way that people really feel heard. They feel accepted. uh, They feel engaged. And I think that that's really uh, what matters more than anything else. So when we started – I talked a little bit about some of the things like authenticity is the way and some of the books and stuff i have available if you want to receive a free copy of authenticity is the way just text the word discovery to the number excuse me six six eight six six and that will uh, automatically deliver then the um, the short book to your your email um, if you'd like so i don't know if anybody had uh, any questions juliet or did we get most of them addressed so far Yeah, um, we actually have no questions um, coming in anymore. We got most of them addressed. So um, I think we are pretty much at the hour, Um, unless you wanted me to ask a few of those, or you're all good. No, I just wanted to thank everybody for uh, participating in today's webinar. An hour seems to go by so so fast, so I apologize if I missed any of the content that we, we probably could have gotten through. Um, but we're happy to continue the dialogue. Obviously, you can text Discovery to 66866 or there's my cell phone or my email. Um, if you have any specific questions that you'd like some follow-up on, I'm happy to do that or if you submit them into the Q&A box right now I can send uh, an email to the entire group to say hey here are some of the things that the rest of the people in the the, the webinar were considering so uh, be, I'm open to receiving that in any way but but if not thank you again Juliet for allowing me to do this and thank you everybody for um, participating in today's webinar so with that I'll give it back to you Juliet so thank you thank you for listening to this episode of equal chance to be unequal I'm Michael S siever if you enjoyed this episode please leave a review on iTunes and like share or comment on this podcast on com, facebook instagram linkedin twitter or youtube go forth and be awesome